This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNXRadio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Number of people dead across the U.S. keeps climbing. Daily average for the past seven days is top 3,000. Concern it could get even worse as we approach the hearts of winter. The vaccines, though, offer hope that this thing can slow down soon, but there's been all kinds of distribution delays and problems. The millions upon millions of people we're told would be already vaccinated haven't been as yet. We'll talk to one of the country's top doctors and infectious disease experts about uh, these issues, Francis Collins, director of the National Institutes of Health. As far as vaccines go, the Johnson & Johnson version might be the real game changer, and we will explain why a bit later. But first, again, Dr. Fauci's boss, Dr. Francis Collins, director of the National Institutes of Health. So, doctor, the vaccine rollout has left a lot to be desired. Why has it been so slow? Well, no question. It's off to a rough start. And there are a number of reasons that one can point to uh, of what made this not happen quite the way we all hoped it would. But I think there's also some optimism that we're going to see this really start uh, to get into gear much more effectively in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, as of today, uh, 25 million doses have been distributed to the states but only 9 million of those have actually been administered, according to the CDC. Now, there's a little lag there in the reporting, so it's probably more than 9 million, but it's clear that the problem at the moment is not that we don't have doses, it's that they're not getting administered as quickly as they should be. This is, I think, a serious problem where all of the states have particular plans. They were told start with the healthcare providers and the people in nursing homes and other residential facilities. And maybe they were a little too rigid about that when at this point, I think we should say, let's just find the high risk people and get them immunized. So many states now shifting into going ahead with people over 65, uh, beginning to look at essential workers, people with uh, various kinds of health care problems that place them at high risk. I think that's really kind of the mindset we need to get into. And every state has had a different approach, and some of them have been better than others. You can go to CDC's website and see who is doing the best as far as administering the doses they've been sent. And I bet you can't guess what state is number one for doing this most effectively. Well, it's not us. So which state is it? It's not California. It's West Virginia. So there you go, (laughs) y'all. Good for for them. (laughs) I I guess I still come back to... Why did this act together? Yeah. Why does why did it happen this way, though? Because you have a blame game now. The states are saying, well, the feds didn't tell us what to do. And the feds are saying, we sent you the shots. Why aren't you putting them in arms? So why are we still arguing about this and now having to revisit the plans when we really did have months to figure this out? Because the testing was lacking. The contact tracing was lacking. These are things that we knew. So if our eggs were in the vaccine basket, this is what we had to do. I mean, it's just now that Dodger Stadium is going to be a site, you know, towards the end of the week for vaccines. Why wasn't that? you know, weeks ago when the shots were first coming? I don't have great answers for you, Charles and Mike. I can tell you that. Um, I do think uh, this has been a rough patch uh, for everybody, and everybody is now highly motivated to start to get really creative. So, yeah, okay, we can do a little postmortem here of what went wrong, but let's really focus on how to make things start to go right. Ah, And so, hooray for Dodger Stadium. I'm glad. That's a really good creative thing to do to start to get shots into people's arms. And and I'm glad you said that. Rather than looking back, because there'll be plenty of time for everybody to have, like, commissions galore about what went (laughs) 
yeah. wrong. Uh, yeah. But but looking forward, you, you sort of you you mentioned just before that a lot of states are now kind of deviating from the original very rigid tier system. But a lot of states, of course, are taking their cue from the CDC. That's at the federal level. You're at the federal level. When's the CDC going to come out and say, you know what? It sounded good on paper when we came out with these tiers. It really ain't working out that way, folks. So let's just do it a different (laughs) way. Give it to people who are 75 and older. Or whatever. Well, you know, there are weekly calls uh, with all of the governors, uh, with CDC, with the Operation Warp Speed folks, with the Secretary of Health and Human Services. And there's another one of those tomorrow. And I think the signal will be made very clear that it is time to loosen up a bit and not worry too much about getting everybody in phase 1A before you go on to 1B and so on. I think the time has come to do that. I'm not sure anybody appreciated how hard that was going to be. But now that we can see the reality of it, it's time uh, to basically figure out how do you make sure that the doses that are there are getting to people. And, you know, if you haven't already vaccinated every healthcare provider, they haven't lost their turn. They can still get in line. I think of this like when you're at the airport. I used to go to the airport. I haven't been yes, there long. I remember those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember that? And yeah. You're, at the, you're at the boarding gate and they say, OK, uh, group number one, you may board now. And so all the group one people get up. But some of them are still in the bar. And then they say, okay, group number two. And then group number one shows up. They didn't lose their place. They still get to get on the plane, but they might have to stand in line a little longer. Same thing here. Sure, we wanted to get the healthcare providers and the nursing home folks immunized as quickly as possible. But if it didn't quite get to 100%, let's not make everybody else wait. That's just leaving doses in freezers instead of getting them into arms. We continue our conversation with Dr. Francis Collins, director of the National Institutes of Health. Doctor, the vaccines, again, uh, the incoming Biden administration plans to send out as many doses as it can. Don't leave them on the shelves as a second dose because there's more in the pipeline. That's the idea. So your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's the approach that all of us are beginning to see we can now do. The question had been all along, since this is a two-dose protocol, are we gonna take risks that people will get the first dose and then there won't be a second dose there and then that will mean that the immunization isn't really as strong as we want it to be. But the manufacturing pipeline for both the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine is looking really good. And that's really an important observation that makes us more confident that with the doses we have now, we could go ahead and start administering those to everybody, sort of get everybody their first dose as soon as you can. And we won't run into a problem where the second doses aren't there because of some manufacturing glitch. It looks like this is going to be the best path forward. That's what the Biden administration had promoted forward. That's certainly what the current plan has been leaning towards anyway. I think we're probably all pretty close to agreement about that. And that means, again, then the challenge is how do we take the doses that are coming, and I mentioned we have 25 million out there already, and get them into people's arms. One of the other things that maybe can help is beginning to tap into pharmacies and make sure that the pharmacy chains all over the country, and most people are near one, could begin to be the place where immunizations happen, especially if you want to start with people over 65 who might just show up and show their age, and then you get immunized. That's kind of high-throughput effort that we need to be sure we're tapping into. Now, of course, one of the problems, as you know, with, with all of these vaccines is once you get, whether it's the second shot of the Pfizer or the second shot of the Moderna or maybe down the road, the first and only shot of, I think, the Johnson & Johnson, nobody at the moment can say when you need to do this again. Is it a year later? Is it five years later? Is it never? Uh, and I know the FDA was pushing for these trials to go on 
for two years, but realistically, most trial participants are probably not going to want to do that. So how do you find this out? Oh, they have all agreed to do it uh, for two years. And I think they were pretty altruistic in signing up for the trials in the first place. So I think we'll be able to track most of those people. And that's like 100,000 people between these various trials and see what happens. But there's two things to think about here. One is to what extent is the immunity that the vaccine generates going to be long lasting or does it fade over a few months? That's one question. The other question is, does the virus itself change? So that even though you had sustained immunity against SARS-CoV-2, the guy that's causing us the trouble now, there's another variant that shows up for which the vaccine doesn't work, and then you have to design a new vaccine. So those are both possibilities. We don't think either of them is likely to happen in less than a couple of years. And right now, our urgency is to try to get people immunized and put an end to the terrible pandemic now that's taking hundreds of thousands of lives. But everybody ought to realize this would be extremely lucky if it was a one-shot deal or a two-shot deal, and then you're done for life. This is probably going to be more like your tetanus shot, where you're going to need a booster now and then. At least that would be my expectation. So all of our RIs and discussion is on Pfizer and Moderna right now. There are others that are being worked on, uh, Johnson Johnson, AstraZeneca. Is there a chance we see those by, what, summer for the everybody else category? Or is that are those still a, a ways out and maybe some of those are the ones you change if we see different variants pop up? Well, we, we have high hopes in Johnson & Johnson. They've already done their full enrollment. Uh, they are now counting up events, which is people who get sick and figuring out, were they on the placebo? Were they on the vaccine? Expectation is they will know that, gosh, in about two weeks from now. And if the data looks good, they will then go to the FDA and ask for emergency use authorization. And the FDA will then look at all the data and have a public meeting. And if they agree it looks good, this vaccine could be out there being administered by the middle of February. That would be wonderful because that would be a third vaccine. And it's also, as you mentioned a minute ago, a single dose. So it's a lot less complicated logistically. It's also one that's fairly easy to scale up as far as manufacturing. It also has a very forgiving cold chain, so you don't have to have ridiculously cold uh, temperatures uh, to keep it in. So we're all hoping that that one will come through and look as good as the Pfizer and Moderna, which is a very high bar. 94, 95% efficacy is going to be tough to meet, but I hope they meet it. I don't want to move on to the next possible pandemic when we're still in the middle of this one. But having said that... <laughs> Uh, have we learned anything, do you think, from this pandemic so that when the next one comes, and you and I know it is going to come at some point, have we learned anything from this that will make the next one easier? We've learned a ton, and we'd better darn well be sure we don't forget those things or slip back into complacency because there probably will be another pandemic. Maybe it'll be a coronavirus like this one, or maybe it'll be the influenza virus we've worried about for decades that is really, really dangerous. We have learned how to make vaccines really fast, and this mRNA approach uh, that is the reason Pfizer and Moderna were first out there is really exciting for all kinds of other approaches. All you have to do is know the letters of the DNA or the RNA code of that next pathogen, and you're ready to start the vaccine, just as we did in this case. We've learned a lot about how to get industry and academia and government to work really closely together. That's been something I've spent a huge amount of my time on is pulling together that public-private partnership where all the smart people around the same table agreeing together about what the priorities should be. 
Uh, we've learned a lot also about therapeutics, how to develop these monoclonal antibodies for people who are already infected and maybe to keep them out of the hospital or keep them out of the ICU. That also is a lesson we can learn. And frankly, we've learned, unfortunately, how not to do a lot of the public health mitigation efforts that could have put us in a much better place. And we have to figure out how that went so wrong, where simple measures like a mask, which is, after all, a life-saving medical device, became instead a statement about your political party. And that is grievously unfortunate, and, um, and we must never make that mistake again. So we have a lot of educating to do about what public health is all about, what evidence means, and why people need to follow it. Dr. Francis Collins, Director of the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Collins, thanks for coming back on the show. It's nice to be with you, Charles and Mike. Thanks for spreading the word about what we need to do. I know Southern California is going through a really tough time right now. We are going to get through this, but it's going to take everybody to get there. Come back with us. Thanks, Doc. Coming up after this short break, another COVID vaccine might provide the breakthrough we need to get over the pandemic. All the COVID-19 vaccine talk has centered around Pfizer and Moderna, they were approved in the U.S. for emergency use within about a week of one another. Then, then there's the AstraZeneca vaccine, which was also approved in Great Britain. But there's one vaccine that's showing a lot of promise. It's the Johnson & Johnson version. Bloomberg News health reporter Michelle Cortez talks to WBBM's Cisco Cotto about what makes that vaccine a potential game changer. There's a couple of really important parts when it comes to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. The most significant one is most likely the fact that you only need to give it once. So as soon as you get it, a couple of days or weeks after you're being protected and you don't have to come back for your second shot. So that makes it not only more quickly effective, but it also makes it easier to get to everybody. You need half as much of it and you don't have to go through the whole distribution process twice. The other thing, Cisco, is that it can be kept in a refrigerator. The Pfizer-BioNTech and the Moderna vaccines are both specialized medicines. They have to be kept at exceedingly cold temperatures beyond the freezers that we have, like keeping it in a freezer that you have in your house or even out there in the outside in Chicago in the winter. It doesn't get cold enough for those. So Johnson & Johnson's vaccine is going to be much easier to distribute, especially in places like the developing world where that you know super cold freezer is not available. In generally, it seems like each of these companies can only produce so many vaccines at a time. So as we have more approved, does that make it easier to get more people vaccinated more quickly? Absolutely. And not only, not only that, it's not even just the idea that we have have more than one company doing it. The issue is supply chains. And the benefit here is that these vaccines work in different ways, and that means they need different components. If everybody is trying to get exactly the same thing, then you're going to run up into issues of, you know, the, the, in, the ingredients, the excipients, the outside supporting cast, essentially, of the vaccine gets used up. But the Johnson & Johnson vaccine works completely different than the Pfizer and BioNTech and Moderna vaccines. And it works similarly to the AstraZeneca one, but uses a different supply chain. So the benefit is there is that you have people working on different tracks using different parts and you can make more of it globally thanks so much michelle cortez always good insight hey, remember the flu we haven't heard much about it because there hasn't been much to hear cdc data shows the seasonal flu has all but vanished from the end of september to the end of december in 2019 the cdc reported more than 65,000 flu cases across the country during that same period in 2020 about 1,000 cases now, this comes despite a six-fold increase in testing at public health labs, most of which checked for influenza A and B, along with COVID-19. 
Doctors say public health measures like social distancing and mask wearing helping to limit the flu because it's not as contagious as COVID. You can find us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.